Hey, y'all, I am, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm very excited about preaching this sermon today. It's going to sound a lot like last week's sermon, um, but I like a challenge, especially, you know, when it comes to preaching and it comes to teaching, I, I, I like when people challenge me, and uh, at the end of the day, I also like to find out that I was right. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being kind of funny about that, but it's, this is a good subject to be talking about. If you weren't here last week, we, we discussed the idea of loving our enemies. We all know that's in the Bible. We all know that's a major uh, teaching of Jesus Christ, and it's a, it's a teaching of, of Paul as well. I'm gonna, and I'm going to remind you of that in, in a second. But on all honesty, I really don't think there's a subject that we could touch on during this particular moment in our time and in our culture that may be more relevant, more applicable, more uh, needful than the idea of loving our enemies. We are at a place in our culture right now where hating your enemy is good. We like to hate our enemies. We enjoy it. It's part of who we are as a culture. We are polarized, and I'm not just talking about politically, but we are polarized in our local communities, in our state, and in our country, like, unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime, probably unlike a lot of you folks have ever seen in your lifetimes. We've got racial wars going on. We've got political wars going on. You've got social media wars going on, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, and, and the ideas of of, of all these violent words that we've exchanged with one another. And that's the thing today. It's cool. It's cool to be mean. It's cool to be hateful. It's cool. And it's okay to hate our enemies. It's not okay. Not for us. Not for those who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. And if we're participating in this kind of stuff, we've got to take a real hard look at ourselves because we are the, the image bearers. We are the image bearers of Jesus Christ right here on earth. Again, I don't think there's a subject right now that we could talk about that is more meaningful and more needed in our societies. We've got to embrace what Christ calls us to do. I'm going to give you guys a review if you weren't here um, last Monday or last, <laughs> last Sunday. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of what we talked about. We've been talking about the, uh, Romans chapter 12 a good bit lately. Uh, Romans 12 is a wonderful picture of what the church is called to look like, what the church is called to be. And uh, particularly we focused on Romans 12 too, which reads, Don't conform or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, His good and perfect will. I define to you guys the idea of the patterns of this world. What's Paul mean when he uses that phrase, patterns of this world? The patterns of this world are those things, anything, especially ideas and actions that are embraced by the world, particularly the secular world, unfortunately a lot of times in the Christian world. But anyway, they are these ideas, these practices, the actions that are embraced by the world that are in conflict with the will of God. These things that are in conflict with the will of God, particularly in conflict with what Christ said were the greatest commandments of loving God and loving our neighbor. And certainly this list could go on and on and on and on. But I think you get the idea at this point. And I told you guys also that Romans 12, 2, don't conform to the patterns of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, kind of serves as the base or the foundation of a good bit of what um, the entire chapter of Romans, the entire 12th chapter of Romans 12 has to deal with. So we talked about loving our enemies last week in Romans 12 because Romans 12 actually concludes with this humongous, this huge call for us to 
set aside the patterns of the world when it comes to our enemies, those patterns of hate, those patterns of retaliation, those patterns of revenge, and embrace the ways of Christ. This is how Paul wrote, writes it, verses 17 through 20 in Romans chapter 12. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, Paul writes, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning, heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. These words of Paul redirect us. They redirect us away from these worldly patterns of violence, these worldly patterns of hatred, these worldly patterns of revenge, retaliation, vengeance, and they reorient us to patterns that are Christ-like, to patterns that are the will of God. We even follow that up with some words of Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 5, which as you guys I'm sure know by now is, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. We read Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Jesus writes, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, as you, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. So what I want to follow up with today is some more words, as our scripture focused, from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Again, last week we talked about Jesus saying, you've heard it said, love your, love your, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies. We're going to follow that up with some more words of Christ, and you can find those just above the scriptures that we focused on last week. You can find it in Matthew 5, 38 through 45. 38 through 42 it actually should be, but that's all right. Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. This, sound, this should sound relatively familiar. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The word of God for the people of God. I want to point something out to you real, real quick. Something that's probably glare, very glaring to you guys in that scripture. If you remember last week um, when we started that set of scriptures, Christ started out with these very same words. He said, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. And I explained that to you guys by pointing out that word heard. That, that was very important because that's exactly what people were doing. You've heard it said. Nowhere in the Bible is it written to hate your enemies. People were engaging in this. They were practicing this. They were teaching this. But nowhere in the entirety of Scripture are you going to find anything remotely close to God saying, hate your enemy. Now, I will say there are some Psalms but you have to remember that psalms are prayers written by human beings. Psalms are prayers written by human beings. And I've told you guys before that the psalms reflect our human image a lot. They're a very honest book. And you're going to find people praying, against, praying some pretty bad stuff against their enemies. But remember, that ain't God's will. That's human beings. Otherwise, anywhere else in the entirety of Scripture, you're not going to find anything remotely close to God's will being to hate your enemies. 
Well, let's look at this verse today. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So we say, aha. But that is in Scripture, isn't it, isn't it, Pastor? We've seen that. We've heard that before. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you would be absolutely right in saying that. There's something similar here. People were, people were utilizing the Scripture and they were putting it into practice getting even with other people, practicing retaliation, revenge, those types of things. So we know, yeah, there's a scriptural basis for people employing these tactics, if you will, and engaging in these actions. We know there's at least some kind of scriptural basis for them, for them, for them uh, embodying that, for them doing this. Here's what happens, though. People were taking a little piece of scripture here, a little piece of scripture there. They, they take it out of context, much as a lot of us do today, and they use it to fit their way of thinking. In today's scriptures, Jesus really sets the record straight. And he clarifies for them, and he clarifies for us the will of God. One of the biggest issues that we have with scripture, folks, is this. We want to read ourselves into scripture. Instead of us being created in God's image, a lot of times we want to try to create God into our image particularly when we're reading the Bible. Here's the thing. We can make the Bible say anything we want it to say. The Bible is the only book in the history of the world where I can grab, I can read two sentences, and I can declare, aha, I have gotten the entire meaning of that, and I'm going to put that into action. No other book you do that with. None. But we'll do that with the Bible all day long. Because we like to read ourselves into Scripture. We like to make God into our image to fit the way that we believe and the way that we want to act. Again, everybody does it. Conservative Christians do it. Liberal Christians do it. Across the board. We have to have an honest reading and an honest application of Scripture. We can't be biased in our opinions when we approach Holy Scripture. We've got to understand it. You know what? People who can quote the Bible word for word don't impress me one bit. I know a lot of people that know what the Bible says. I don't know a whole lot of people who know what the Bible means. That makes sense to you? A lot of people know what the Bible says, but they don't know what it means. And that's exactly what Christ is telling them in this scripture today. And that's exactly the message that he, that he gives to us. So let's look at those scriptures real quick. The ones that talk about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You're going to find... Um, you're going to find it in three places in the Old Testament. You're going to find it in Exodus. You're going to find it in Deuteronomy. And you're going to find it in Leviticus. For the sake of our time together today, I'm not going to read all of those. But I will pull the one out from, from Exodus uh, just, to guide, just to give you guys an example. If you want to follow along, it's not, I didn't tell them to put it up on the screen, so it's not going to be there. But if you happen to want to follow along, it's Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. And here's what it reads. I'll take my glasses off for this one. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. 
But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. The other scriptures that you'll find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy are very similar to what we just read out of the book of Exodus. What we have to understand when we look at what's going on in each instance of this scripture is these scriptures were never, ever, ever intended for our personal or our individual application. God is absolutely not directing me. He's not directing you to enact our own vengeance, our own revenge, or our own retaliation against any person or any group of people. What these passages are, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, everywhere you see this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing, these were ancient judicial laws. Okay, These were laws that pertain to the sentencing of people who committed either crimes against the person or crimes against property. These were things that were indeed, as harsh, it may, as harsh as it may sound to us, were handed down to God for the purpose of being used by judges and courts. Never, ever, ever for individual or personal application. As a matter of fact, most people believe, most scholar, biblical scholars believe that one of the motives for laying down these judicial laws was exactly to stop so much individual retaliation, so much individual vengeance that was going on. It was an effort to curtail these things. It was an effort to curtail people taking matters into their own hands, retaliating against people, killing people, exercising revenge. It's never meant for personal application, folks. Never, never. But a lot of times we want it to be, don't we? And a lot of times we'll read those verses in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy where they're going through these judicial laws and we'll apply them to ourselves because that's what we want. We want to get revenge on people. We want payback. Somebody did something to me, I'm going to do something to them. That's what we want. So we look at those scriptures and we apply them to ourselves and we try to make God in our own image. That's not how it works. Those aren't how those scriptures are for. That's why it's so, so, so very important for us a lot of understand a lot of times to dig a little deeper into scripture. Not just what it says, but what it means. Understand this too. Because this all kind of pertains to the same thing we're talking about. The Old Testament will never contradict the New Testament. Y'all follow me? The Old Testament will never contradict the New Testament. The teachings of Jesus will never contradict anything that we're going to find out in the Old Testament. As difficult as some of the Old Testament things readings are for us to take in, they're not going to contradict each other. Some of the Old Testament is hard for us to read, especially for our modern minds. It's difficult, and because it's difficult, we should love the Bible enough, we should care about the Bible enough, we should care about Scripture enough to actually put some thought and some research into what we are reading. 
A lot of people want to separate these two things. They want to make the God of the Old Testament kind of different in his character and his personality than the God of the New Testament. No, 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 no. God is consistent. God's character is consistent. There is no Old Testament God and New Testament God. They are the same one all day long. Again, some of this Old Testament stuff is difficult for us to read today. It's so very important, so very important that we actually do research that we actually study these scriptures so that we can understand how graceful, how merciful our God is, even in some of these Old Testament circumstances. Jesus Christ is God, and I don't know that we fully understand that or that we fully apply that to our lives sometimes. Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God. If we believe in what we call the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then what we believe and what has been taught through 2,000 years of Christian tradition and history is that the Son of God, God Himself, came to earth in human form. God Himself came to earth in flesh and human form. He was fully human and He was fully God. Okay? So anything that we read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, about stuff that Jesus says, about Jesus' teachings, His commandments. That's God giving those commandments. Anything that we read about His personality, about His character, primarily, number one thing that we know about Christ is He's the most loving person on the face of the earth in history. That's the same God in the Old Testament. That is the same God. If anybody... Any teacher, any pastor, any preacher, any televangelist ever tries to teach you something that tells you that, that your actions or your thoughts or your beliefs are contradictory to Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor and all of his commandments, for that matter. If they display any actions or teach you any actions that are in conflict with those things, they are wrong and they are false teachers all day long. And I see it all the time, particularly with some of these larger names. How do we handle our, our people or these groups right now, for example, who we at least perceive to be oppressing the Christian religion? You don't have to answer that out loud, but think about it real quick. Think of some of these bigger names, some of these folks who are on our televisions and our radios and our social media feeds. I don't think there's a whole lot of Christian oppression going on actually in the United States. I think there's a lot of people who don't like Christians. I think there's a lot of people who say some nasty things. But... When you look at Paul and you look at some of these other countries currently that are actually under threat of arrest or worse, that's what persecution and oppression looks like. Nonetheless, if we perceive that we are being oppressed to, by some person or group, what's our reaction? Is it loving our enemy? Or is it hating our enemy just like everybody else? I'm going to argue that the majority of the time, it's not too nice. It's not too kind. It's not too... What were those eight fruits of the Spirit you mentioned earlier, Miss Chubb? Generosity, kindness, faithfulness, love, self-control. Somebody said it. Are we loving our enemies as Christ commanded us? Because this is what we've got to ask ourselves. Are we loving our enemies as Christ commanded us? Or are we going to engage in the worldly patterns that Paul tells us not to engage in? We don't like it. It's not natural to us. Come here a second, uh, Kevin. 
Let's talk about some of these examples that Jesus gives us in the uh, in our scriptures today. Can y'all put those back up real quick? Heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Where are we? Come over here, brother. You better not slap me. I want y'all to understand the seriousness of this and the, and the level of this. Have y'all ever considered, is there a reason that Jesus said your right cheek instead of your cheek or even your left cheek? This is where words, singular words, even come into importance. Why does he say your right cheek there? How many people are in this room are right-handed? 80, 90% of you? Yeah, I'm left-handed. Most people are right-handed. So if I slap, if I'm right-handed and I'm slapping the right side of Kevin's cheek, that's kind of impossible, right? If I'm right-handed, more than likely my, my hand's going to go to his left cheek. So if I'm slapping somebody with my right hand, I ain't going to slap you, brother. <laughs> it's a backhand, right? Right? It's a backhand. Shoom, boom. How humiliating is that? How demeaning is that? How dehumanizing is that? Thank you, Thank you Kevin. It's demoralizing to be backhanded. It's demoralizing to be punched or kicked or whatever from the first place. But there's an extra added insult when somebody backhands somebody. There was 2,000 years ago and there is now. That's a rough example. That's an intentional example. Somebody embarrasses you that much. Somebody dehumanizes you, demoralizes you that much. What do you do? You give them the other one. There's a lot of Christian groups out there that take this uh, scripture very seriously. That's why the Amish, I mentioned the Amish last week. That's why the Amish and the Mennonites are pacifists, because they, they take that very seriously. Literally, very literally. Look at another part right there. Where is it? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is a reference to Roman occupation during the time of Jesus Christ and his disciples. <clears throat> they were all under, Israel's under Roman occupation. It was hostile. It was oppressive. It was a, they, it was a persecuted uh, people. Oftentimes, these officers in the Roman army would force it, ordinary citizens to do their work for them. For example, they would make them carry their bags, their luggage. What do you army guys call it? You Air Force guys call it your, say it again, your gear. They would force people to carry all their gear with them. How humiliating, living under that kind of that kind of oppression. Christ says, if they tell you to do that, go another mile for them. And yet, we still want to argue. This Jesus, an eye for an eye. I get, I get to have revenge on people. I get to retaliate on somebody. I get to get my vengeance. We still want to believe that for some reason despite everything that Scripture actually tells us, that Jesus actually tells us. It doesn't come natural to us, folks. I'm a, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that. It doesn't come natural. But I believe everybody in this room right now that I'm aware of anyway is a Christian. And because you guys are Christian, we have, whether you believe it or not, supernatural abilities. We have supernatural abilities to overcome some of this stuff that does not come natural to us. Every person in this room has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. 
Oh, but we got choice. Just like everything else, we got choice. The question is, are we going to submit to the Holy Spirit? Are we going to submit to what we actually know is biblical and scriptural truth? Or are we just going to continue like we do in so many other ways and continue to go our own way and do what we do what we want to do? Folks, there's no better time than right now for the world to see what Christians are really made of. There's no better time right now than for the entire world to see what we are capable of through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of suggestions for, uh, for this. And they're easy. They're easy suggestions, by the way. And these don't just apply to our enemies. They can apply to, they can apply to our friends, for goodness sakes. Actually pray with people. including your enemies. Actually pray with people, including your enemies. This is something I've had to learn how to do. It's not something that's come natural to me. Actually put your hands on somebody and pray for their good. It'll freak people out for one thing. But it'll also disarm people. It's hard to hate somebody that's praying for you. Verbally. It's hard to hate somebody that you are praying for. Of course we want to do this with our loved ones, our families and friends. Pray with and for your enemies and see if that does start changing you a little bit. Here's another thing. One more suggestion. Paula, Paulette, I love you. Peggy, I love you. Tom, I love you. Jerry, I love you. Y'all are my family. Y'all are my friends. Carl, Judy, I love you guys. Start telling people you love them, including your enemies. You want to disarm somebody? You want to freak some people out? Tell them you love them, especially if you're a man, by the way. I've, I've, I've kind of figured out that men don't receive this very well a lot of times. They don't. But it disarms people. It shows people the real love of Christ. I'm going to tell you a story real quick, and I'm going to wrap it up. This was not me telling an enemy that I love him, but it was a really cool thing that happened to me this last week. Most of y'all know uh, Mr. Robert here that, that cleans our church, or know him, or have met him, or whatever at some point. He was over here doing some work uh, Wednesday, I think it was. And as he was getting ready to leave, he found out that, he had, uh, that his battery on his car was dead. His battery on his truck was dead. He asked if I could give him a jump. I said, sure, absolutely. He was parked out here in front of the church, so I drove my little car around there and parked it and got him jumped off and got his, got his truck running. And uh, as I was leaving, I said, all right, brother, call me if you need anything. I love you. It just came out of my mouth. <clears throat> he didn't say it back. I rolled up my window, and I was backing out, and he started waving at me. Hey, hey, hey. So I stopped. I rolled my window back down. He said, uh, he said you tell me you love me. I said, yeah. He said, you know what? I love you more. <laughs> it's amazing what three little words can do for us, folks. Three little words, especially if they're people that we may not necessarily like or agree with who have hurt us, but it works. Pray with people, not just for people, with people. Tell people you love them. 
The more we start doing that, the more you'll actually will begin to truly love them, by the way. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for the, for the difficult aspects of, of Jesus' teachings and commandments. God, we know this stuff doesn't come natural to us. Every one of us admits that. It doesn't come natural to us. We're, we're flawed human beings. <clears throat> but we want to be like Christ. We want to be the beacon of light of Jesus Christ in a world that's being pulled apart right now by so much hatred, so much turmoil. Help us to be those people. Help us to be those people that bring that light to our local community our state, our country, our globe. Help us to reflect Christ in all that we are, all that we do, all that we think, and all that we say. For your glorification and for the good of every life that we touch, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.